We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to be discussing the Eastern Conference. Last Wednesday, we went around the West and went through every team. Today, we're going to focus a little more on the contenders, because as we do these general NBA shows, we're going to do it through a Lakers lens. And these are going to be teams that we think have a shot at possibly meeting the Lakers in the finals. Uh, you know, ideally, Lakers make it back there, and we want to discuss teams that have a shot of, of facing us. But before that starts, we've gotten a bit of news over the last week about a potential start time that's going to be a lot sooner than a normal offseason. Kind of set up the landscape of that, because I think that plays into this conversation quite a bit. So, I mean, there's not a ton of detail out there. It seems to be still some speculation because this does need to be negotiated between the league and the players, right? But it seems like the league is driving the car on this one and probably trying to get some word out about what they want and hopefully get the players on board with it pretty quickly. And this was actually a very similar approach that they used to like the bubble, right? Like, this is what we want to do and and driving that that conversation that way. But in any event, it looks like the league is targeting a start date of around December 22nd. The timeline is really tight. Um, a December 22nd start, I think a part of this probably is like the league wants to own Christmas. Christmas has typically been like an NBA day where they show games all day and they want to set it up with their business partners too, right? Where that first opening night, if it's earlier that week, then they can do ring night. And then on Christmas day, you can do the whole Christmas day slate slate of games. But this is a quick turn. We'll, we'll turn around, especially for a team like the Lakers, right? Who I think their last game was what, like October 10th or October 11th. It was something like that. And then so to, to potentially start training camp, like less than two months after that, that's a 
tight window and offline mike had said you you know like i've got some interesting thoughts about what that sort of timeline might mean for the league in general and maybe even for the lakers specifically and so mike fill us in here about some of your thoughts around that sort of turnaround time for the league from season to season yeah, I definitely had thoughts. I don't know if they're interesting yet. Uh, you guys will have to weigh in on that, and I'm sure that we'll hear from everybody. I and, and to put a little more context behind the playoff thing, it really does, if the season ends up starting that early, it's the Lakers and the Heat that get hit the hardest, then the teams that made it to the conference finals, and for everybody else, it's mostly fine, especially the non-playoff teams, especially the teams that lost in the first round and or made it to the bubble um, but didn't get in, like the Phoenixes or the San Antonios or the Sacramentos. Those teams will all be fine. Uh, in fact, many of those guys have, are probably jonesing to actually get some organized basketball in because it's been a long while, but it will sort of disadvantage those teams. But the, the lens that I've been looking through all of this is, okay, what leagues around the world in any sport are on their quote-unquote second season since COVID, and the one that I follow the most closely is the English Premier League, which I consider to be the best league in the world, by the way, um, right there with the NBA. And it's just been really fascinating to watch because the teams at the top of the table, and you don't have to know a lot about soccer or even care um, to kind of get the, the analogy here. Right now, Everton's in first place, Aston Villa's in third, Leicester City's in fourth, Leeds United, who was in their first year in the Premier League in a long time, is in sixth. There are a couple teams like Liverpool and Tottenham slid in there, and it's still really early. But the point is that some of the bigger clubs, some of the clubs that had to go deeper, um, whether to make it to the champ, to qualify for the Champions League or to actually play in the Champions League, these kind of um, these the, essentially the playoff version uh, of what these uh, these international and English soccer teams are. Those teams have been a little sluggish early and rightfully so and and that's kind of where you tie in i i would expect this if the season is to start earlier i would expect it to at to affect and to impact the better nba teams the ones that had to make the longer runs in the bubble the ones that have more veterans of course that's going to affect them early now ultimately by the time you get to the postseason it'll probably all even out more or less you know maybe you get the three seed instead of the one seed you know something like that but it is going to definitely take a toll um, and it's not guys just because of physicality it's because there's no fans in the stands and so these players are getting out there and they're like wait a second we just made this crazy run without fans now we got to drum up all this motivation ourselves again and on the road and at home because think about for the Lakers they get a lot of fire from not only seeing some purple and gold in the stands in Atlanta or in Detroit or whatever, but because the other fans are yelling at them. And then they get home to Staples Center, and that gives them a boost. So it's it's going to be a challenge in that aspect. And I, I just think it's something that, you, that the three of us are going to have to keep uh, a, our pulse on throughout the season. It speaks to something we talked about in our Western Conference pod that I think can tie in here too, which is this idea of potential championship malaise or let down like in our last pod we had talked about hey could the lakers potentially look like the 2001 team right like the team that was kind of up and down during the regular season and then really turned it on come playoff time and a point that i just want to be out there i'm not saying that this is going to happen or that it's more likely to happen but it's just something to look for that the turnaround time could hit the lakers doubly hard from the perspective of not only did they play the longest, but they actually won, right? And, and so this idea that they won't necessarily be able to ramp up even as highly as like a team like the Heat, right? Who played just as long as the Lakers did, but are going to have a secondary level of motivation to maybe come back stronger, right? And, and more mentally in tune with what the goals are for that specific season versus the Lakers team who might say, we just won and there's a little bit of a championship hangover, so to speak. I mean, yes, but look, this is the, the lot that we're dealt. Like, yes, this is not ideal for the Lakers. It's also, we need to come up with a plan to deal with it, right? Yeah. Like, we can feel bad for ourselves for a little while, right? Like, oh, we didn't get the amount of time. Lord knows I want a whole offseason of making videos that celebrate this amazing title that we just won. I, I, that's been really important to me to do that. Seriously, you need you need at least, like, a month and a half for Caruso. That's what, what I'm saying, saying? Like, man. I got all these clips. It's not fair that They're all color-coded <laughs> in Adobe Premiere and sorted and in the process of that. And uh, I got this AD sure. series that I'm working on as well where he's... ADs. 
on the way. That's oh man, he's he's so freaking nasty, <laughs> man. His just being able to watch that footage of that guy in that playoff run is incredible. And we need to do everything we can in less than ideal circumstances to schedule this season out. This is something that LeBron does really well that we'll talk about. We're going to do a pod on him on Monday. LeBron does a wonderful job of scheduling out his year. You've talked about this already a couple times on the pod, Mike, and this is a different schedule that we're going to have to adhere to, but we can only feel sorry for ourselves about this turnaround time for so long. We understand that I think this regular season coming up is less important to the Lakers, even in a normal context, than last season, right? In terms of we already established we are a championship team. We have things to build off of. On Friday, we're going to do a pod on whether or not we should run it back and to what degree we should do that. But we don't have time to feel bad about ourselves, Mike. Like, what do we need to do to like, this is, it is what it is, right? I mean, it has nothing's official has been announced yet, but if we're starting on December 22nd, it's less than ideal, but what do we need to do to be able to hit that schedule and, and be able to perform in the playoffs when we need to? Yeah, and I don't, I don't even think it's that much of a concern either. I, so there, there are a couple of mitigating factors for this for the Lakers. One is Frank Vogel, and he's really good at stuff like this. So he's really good at taking it day-to-day, kind of getting guys on the same page. The second mitigating factor is Anthony Davis taking a potential leap towards a, uh, let's say he's like, hey, you know what? I have arrived even more. Uh, this is going to be an MVP-type season for me. And he then brings it every day in a different type of way and elevates the play of everybody else. You, sometimes you just need one guy there. And then, by the way, there's LeBron. I think that Rob Palenka can, can uh, mitigate this some with uh, additional roster depth. And the depth of roster, which I think the Lakers do have uh, more than many teams, that's something they could ride out a, a season like this when you don't want to stretch LeBron and AD early in the season. And, hey, guess what, Kyle Kuzma? Here's your chance on this given night. Mm-hmm. Like, any time that LeBron and AD sat last year, Kuz scored 20. And, like, that kind of thing. And so there, there are a lot of ways that they can deal with this. There's going to be nobody feeling sorry that they had a little bit less rest. It's just something for yeah. us, and I think especially for fans, to keep in mind um, if the Lakers don't start – 23 and 2 mm-hmm. out of the gate. You know, there these are things to keep in mind in advance. And also guys, how are there going to be fans in the playoffs? Because that's going to mitigate the importance of seeding as well. And if you don't think there's going to be fans uh in the postseason, that that's definitely going to going to impact the way uh and if you want to just do a quick thought on that Darius, like that's definitely going to impact the way that all teams play. Man, forecasting out another Ted Bunts. Lord, I hope that we're able to have fans in the arena and the Lakers to be able to have that extra push, not only in home games, but on the road as well. And that idea of both celebrating with your fans who follow you in a Milwaukee or in a Minnesota or in New York, right? Um, Along with hearing those boos that drive you as well, right? Just like you were saying earlier, Mike. And so I'm just hopeful that things do turn around at some point in the next six to eight months, right? Where things are on an upward trajectory in terms of how we're managing the pandemic and being able to get fans back in the arena and have that be a universal thing and not just in states that have opened up early versus states that are still sort of lagging behind. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look around the Eastern Conference, particularly at the contenders. The wait is finally over, and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. 
like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. So Mike, one team that really stands out to me in this schedule and and just this whole timeline, it being advantageous to them, is the Brooklyn Nets. They brought a skeleton crew to the bubble. KD didn't play last season. Kyrie didn't play for a good portion of it. And they've been off for a significant period of time. And they're the team that's kind of looming in the Eastern Conference as one of those squads that has one of those guys in the conversation for the best player in the game. And we learned in the playoffs with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the value of having guys like that. We can complicate basketball in a lot of ways, but if you have one of the living basketball gods at any given point, you are in a position to contend for a title. What are we looking at with Brooklyn and how do they enter this 2020-2021 season? All right, Pete, yeah, I like how you pulled Brooklyn out here because they're the true wild card uh, in the team that could go from 30 and 34 before things, before COVID last year, to a team that could finish first uh, for all that we know in the East, depending on KD's health, how he looks with the Achilles, depending on how Kyrie integrates, depending on who else they keep in the roster and how uh, how Steve Nash kind of manages all of it. After this, we'll, I'll, I'll probably go through in sequential order, but again, I like starting with Brooklyn. And to me, the, the we're doing the same thing last time. We did better, worse, or same, uh, and they are the clear and obvious better, right, when you add Kevin Durant. Uh, when, this is a roster that I think still will have some pretty good depth. It just all depends, maybe more so than any other team in the East, on what they do. Uh, do they keep... Spencer Dinwiddie, right, as that kind of sixth man, who, or does some team want him to be their starting point guard? Do they keep uh, Jared Allen, who's in that timeshare right now with DeAndre Jordan? Uh, do they keep Karis LeVert, who really stepped up in the bubble and uh, all of a sudden was pretty dangerous in their first round series as well? Like there, there are those those roster questions are interesting. As is Joe Harris, does he go back? There, mm-hmm. a lot of teams would want the services of, services of Joe Harris. So, uh, Torian Prince on the roster, Garrett Temple, like a lot of guys that are question marks as to they could come back. Even Timothy Timothy Cabarro, I kind of liked um, as a bench option. Just, like so, this team is all over the place. But the bottom line is, Kevin Durant, I think, will respond better to that type of an injury than most players because he is at the absolute apex of skill. Yeah. He is not a guy that has to get to the rim, that has to explode a certain way. Um, he, you could almost look at him like Dirk Nowitzki uh, in a way where like, if you just give him the ball at the elbow, at worst, he can just turn around and rain a soft jumper <laughs> and the mm-hmm. defense has to respond. So I, I am, uh, they're the team about which and about whom I'm most curious, and I think they're clearly better. They are clearly a contender, and uh, I give, I'm going to give Steve Nash some advanced credit, Darius, as to getting them on track uh, towards being a real true contender. They are the clear, clear, this team will be better. Um, to what degree, I think, does vary on all of those things that you mentioned, Mike. Steve Nash being in his first year is a question mark to me. KD, Kyrie, both of those guys have been like top players in other places. And but I wouldn't necessarily say that either of them were the clear leaders in terms of vocal leadership towards success in in any of their previous career spots, even when they did have a lot of success, right? Like KD won championships, um, but you would, but he joined the Golden State team where I think Draymond's voice and Steph's voice and, and to a certain extent, even Clay and Kerr, right? That they were the drivers in terms of leadership and it was more KD's talent that supplemented that and, and put them so far over the top that they were lapping teams, basically. And Kyrie won his championship next next to LeBron. We've seen up close what LeBron's leadership looks like in terms of driving championship chip success. And then when Kyrie played last in Boston, 
I think there were questions about his leadership, and I think that that transferred over to early in Brooklyn. How you're being you're being generous there too. You're being generous. I mean, there there were it's almost the other side yeah. of leadership, you know, w- with Kyrie. And whereas Durant, I'll give more certainly more credit in that in that context than Kyrie. yeah. And look, I I'm not here to like dog out Kyrie. Like um, to me, he's you can call him a complicated personality. I think players generally like him. I think how he navigates his teammates liking him to, and translating that to leadership and on-court success, that's a bridge that needs to be crossed. And I think that's a bridge that needs to be crossed for all players who view themselves as a leader, right? And Kyrie and KD are going to navigate that together, and Steve Nash is going to be there too. This team is supremely talented. How you get all of the pieces to fit together, it's just a puzzle. It's not one that can't be solved for sure, but there are open roster questions and things that do intrigue me. Like, do they make a trade? Do they target a guy that's on another team who could maybe be a better fit, a less of a ball-hungry guy? Um, do they have enough shooting keeping Joe Joe Harris just, well, just like you said, Mike would would help in that regard. Who are they playing in terms of their big man rotation? These are all things that we don't have the answers to yet, and I think that those things will determine their ceiling. But overall, I see them as being just much better. You don't get a guy like Kevin Durant back and not be much better. I think they have a good deal of work to do on their roster to maximize what they could be. Obviously, Kyrie and KD is a massive head start. But when I think of five-man groups, I think of how many of these guys can be great on the same play. And that's part of why, say, Alex Caruso fits in so well with LeBron James and Anthony Davis is the things that he's particularly good at cutting, screen setting, you know, quick swing passes that result from LeBron or AD collapsing the defenses. What Alex Caruso does well, he can do it on the same play as LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so they're all force multipliers. They complement each other. Whereas, say, a team like Houston with Harden and Westbrook, you pointed this out last week, or a team like the Clippers, right? Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. On defense, Kawhi and PG can be great on the same play. But on offense, it's more of a taking turns type of thing. This is a little bit crude, right? I'm not saying it's all or nothing, but LeBron and AD can complement each other on the same play in a way that I don't know if Kyrie and KD can. Now, their two-man game and pick and pop and and all of that is going to be just really nasty and and difficult to defend. But guys like Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert had the ball in their hands quite a bit. You probably need a third guy that that can have the ball in their hands. But on a play where Kyrie or KD are isolating, which especially as they progress throughout the playoffs will happen more and more. Can Dinwiddie be great on that play on the weak side? Can Karis LeVert do the same, right? It's not that they're not fantastic players. It's just, can they be great on the same play? I was just going to say, it's like the Lou Williams question with the Clippers, right? And that guy can be an innings eater during the regular season, Right. And and be a supplemental scorer and ball handler and facilitator and shot creator. But when it's all time in winning time, do you add enough value in other areas where if the ball's not in your hands, you're still having some of that force multiplier effect that that you spoke to, Pete? And one of those areas is defense. Right. And this applies to Lou Will as well. I don't know if they've got a small ball five that can defend the perimeter. That was one thing that became very obvious to me watching a playoff run was you need to be able to put five guys out there who can do that. Can Jared Allen do that? Can DeAndre Jordan do that? Not to the level, I believe, that you need to to win high-level playoff games. Yeah, so I who's mean, their small you know, ball five? Wilson Chandler, but yeah, like is he still able to do that at this stage? Not you know, not necessarily even to the degree that Markeith Morris is, but like that's that's the guy that they last year. Mike, can he handle like Bam Adebayo in a playoff series? The larger point that you're making, though, Pete, and to tie the Lakers into this, as you did, is that I'm not sure there's a team in the, in the whole Eastern Conference, as we're going to go through, that has those two guys that complement each other and are stars. And, th- and thus is the weak spot for Brooklyn. It's going to be Kyrie defensively. Offensively, those two will be fine. Because even if, like, the difference between, say, Russ and Harden is that both these guys are fantastic shooters. Yeah. And if Steve Nash could just get Kyrie to be on the weak side, if nothing, right. le- if nothing less... He's got a, he's getting all the defense attention over there, and then Kevin Durant can work. So like I I worry about that less as what they don't have is all of those two way 
role players that know their role players. And and this is again the strength of the Lakers. It's Caruso, it's KCP, yeah. it's Danny Green. It's it even emerged to be Coos uh, to a certain extent. Markeith Morris, like you can get that role playing stuff from from those guys around the duo that makes sense. And your original point there Pete was that Brooklyn's got some work to do to get to that point, but they they at least have they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of uh potential guys that could that could get them assets from elsewhere. And so they have work to do, but they've got they've got a nice shell towards building a, a real playoff squad. Um, all right, let, if you guys are, are willing, uh, for, by the way, Pete, that was a better, I assume. Uh, yeah, it's a better, yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, from thirty and thirty-four. Okay. All right, so let's let's go to in sequential order from where these teams finished. And again, the caveat: I did not include the seeding games because those were all over the place. So the Milwaukee Bucks, fifty-two and twelve. I am going to do a a thirty second rant uh, that I've done in other places on them to start, and it's gonna it's gonna sort of set the scene for how you guys can can talk about this team. Now, what Milwaukee did last season, and they do get credit for this because it's it's impressive, but they brought it in mo- more more uh, maybe the simplest way to say this is Giannis brought it every day, uh, and what that meant is that they when they played the Knicks or they played the Hornets or they played the Bulls, the Wizards, a lot of these bad teams in the East. They more often than not won from anywhere between 10 and 30 points. And what that did was make their net ratings go through the roof uh, around 10 uh, for the regular season. That made the the first group, the starter group, that made all of their individual ratings, plus minus, defensive rating, offensive rating, that made all of that go through the roof. And that also made everybody from a media standpoint to opposing coaches to everybody overrate the Bucks. It made everybody think that they were this all-time team and how just look at the net difference in net rating. Well, guess what? We already saw the previous season it didn't transfer to the playoffs. So let's not get tricked in again to a team with good depth, <laughs> with bud system, and with a star that is amazing. We all love Giannis. Like, I'm not taking anything away from him. But what you actually I will take something away. Late games. Talk to him, Mike. You can build the wall, you can build the wall, and he can't shoot yet. Okay, so like that is the whole difference between a team that's going to be able to match that in the postseason when teams game plan for you like the Miami Heat did. And so therefore, I called the 52 and 12. I give them credit for it. It's great. You should play that way in the regular season. But guess what? It doesn't translate. So let me get off the soapbox now. Um, let you guys react. I will I will just declare my worst uh, because I don't think they match that again in the regular season. Um, and and I think there are some questions about how, how they can improve the roster. But yeah, let me just stop. You guys react to that. Thank you. You first, Pete. You first. So <laughs> the question is, why doesn't it translate? I think certain teams, Milwaukee and Houston, are at the forefront of this. Their philosophy is calibrated to regular season success because they do things that, that can be successful in the regular season that get taken away in the playoffs. Their approach toward defending the three-point line, Miami. This is what Miami scored on them in that five-game series. 115, 116. 115, 115, then 103 in a game they lost because Giannis didn't, didn't play, right? So when you're putting up mid-one-teens on a team every game in a playoff series, you're going to win that series. And you are always going to run into a team, Denver is an example of this in our conference, that can run guys off of screens and that will delight in your you surrendering those open corner threes. So Darius, my problem with Milwaukee, and I don't think they have a, a roster that's quite as good as their regular season record indicates, right? Like I'm not going to kill Giannis for not being able to win a title with Chris Middleton as his second best player. No disrespect to Chris Middleton. It's just usually you need a better guy than that to win an NBA championship. But Sounds like disrespect. It does. It does sound like disrespect, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's one of the few guys that was good for them in the playoffs. Yeah, no, Middleton's good. Yeah. Middle, Middleton's a triple threat guy, but right? You're, but I agree with your point, though. I agree with your point, though. Right? He's not. He's not a good, good enough number two, and it's the same thing. Like they, they are good one through twelve, but their top five is not great. Like they're they're two, three, four. Bledsoe, you know, Brooke Lopez, they're not good enough. Right. If you look back at the teams that win titles, their number two guy is usually a better player than Chris Middleton. Not a disrespect to Chris Middleton, if, if you want to take it that way, but Middleton's a very good player, but. He's just not that type of guy. But to me, it's on the defensive end. You're giving up a buck 15 every night. You are going to find a team that can go five out on you. They can run guys off of screens. Darius, can their defensive approach work in the playoffs with different personnel with this particular team? Like, can this work? Every question I have about the Bucks is not about the players. It's about the coaching. Yeah. Bud is a very good coach. He's also a coach, though, who has been 
steadfast in his approach to the regular season and then not adjusting as much and building in flexibility during the regular season in order to serve as a good pathway towards adjusting when it comes to the playoffs. And one of the reasons why I have the Bucks as as being like the same or maybe a little bit worse, right, is because of the idea of what is their coach going to come back as? Like, has he learned his lesson now? Right? Like, has he... Like Vogel. Like, Vogel, Vogel learned his lessons. Yeah, like, has he, right? has he been spoon-fed his but, medicine Bro, this has, been, this has been Budenholzer teams all the way back to, my, to Atlanta. Yes. That's why I'm questioning it. So here's the thing, though, is it's one thing to do this in Atlanta with, oh, yeah, like, you coached them up and you had four all-stars and you were the top seed in the East. Everyone knew that those teams were going to have to beat LeBron James. Right. Right? And no shame conference. in losing to them. And there was this idea of, oh, yeah, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice, go beat LeBron, right? If there's any sort of glimmer of hope that Bud is going to come back with more adjustments or a more flexible mindset, it's that he has LeBron James now, or at least the East version of him with Giannis and the expectations now in order to succeed at the level that matches up with the top talent with his best player isn't just, yeah, let's be happy with a conference finals appearance. It's the only happiness is going to come from an NBA championship. And I think back-to-back playoff failures with those types of expectations on you is a different sort of animal that you have to carry into the next year and a different type of driver for what can make you adjust your mindset. Does that adjustment happen? I have no clue, man. Like, a part of me thinks it won't because coaches are creatures of habit. It's hard for them, especially the ones who are very system-oriented. There's a lot of times a belief in the system so strongly that – We've seen this with Mike D'Antoni, for example, that there's not a lot of variance away from that. And so if I have a concern about the Bucks, it's that. Yes, I understand the, the talent on the uh, roster questions and is Chris Middleton good enough as a second best player. There's a lot of different stuff, but you can win a championship, I think, with an MVP level player and a bunch of really good players beneath him if you're flexible and malleable enough with what you do and coach bud has not been that i want to push back slightly and so bud i i don't disagree okay that he and when you're married to your system in any sport as a coach as a manager whatever there that you're going to pay the piper at some point for that because the other coaches the best coaches are going to adjust some and the best players like lebron himself knows how to go and attack of that type of bud system in the postseason. But I think that that's something that can be overcome if there wasn't such a glaring weakness on the offensive end. So, Pete, I actually don't think it's as much on the defensive end for Milwaukee. Mm. I think their defense is is pretty good. Like, you could go small with Giannis at the five. Um, Bledsoe, who wasn't healthy and wasn't himself, um, is, is a really good defender for the most part. Uh, Wesley Matthews, George Hill, Marvin Williams. Like, these are capable NBA players that can defend that can, or that can switch, uh, that, are, that are strong physically. Like, I, to me, it's that when it's the, the way the Lakers' offense and defense are connected, it's the same. Milwaukee could not score on Miami because Miami just built this wall and they it's like go ahead Giannis mm-hmm. you got all the space go ahead and shoot you, you may you're still going to get to the rim x times a game because you know, you're great and especially in transition but you like you cannot score enough against us because we're overplaying the three-point line uh, at the same time as sort of packing the paint with his own and they just couldn't score and so that's how they ended up getting scored on on the other end in transition etc 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 so that to me was their point and that's where I don't know how you can really address that uh, until Giannis gets better and he hasn't shown that he can really from a shooting standpoint. And that's why Darius's point about, yeah, you can win a title with one MVP caliber player and then maybe a number two who isn't 
conventional, this guy's good enough to be a number two on a title team. But that MVP that you have can't have as many holes in his skill set as Giannis does because he's going to get a lot of scramble situation buckets, right? He's going to dominate in the yeah. open court. He's going to dominate any any mistakes that are made. He's going to get all the way through. He's going to put just crazy numbers up once again in this upcoming regular season. But when you get to game plan for that guy, like, let's make Giannis shoot. Let's make Mon- Giannis make high-level passing reads. You can win that with that high-level guy, but he's got to have the total package, and Giannis just isn't at that place either. So you're right, Mike, with like their defensive personnel is good enough. My complaints with them defensively are more that they choose to give up certain shots, right? Yeah, it's more it's, strategic it's, yeah. it's than it is personal. Yes. Yeah, it's scheme-based. A lot of that's because of Brooke, though, right? A lot of, that, a lot of that's because of Brooke, Darius. Yeah. Like, because they, yeah, he, like, he can't get out and rotate if you just go small more often and don't depend on Brooke, who cannot get out there, and you have to play drop coverages on, then maybe that's a little easier. The thing is, though, is that Coach, Coach Bud played drop coverage with Giannis in the game. One of the things that I am totally on board with in terms of Pete is this idea of flexibility and malleability within the scheme. And there are certain things like we mentioned the Lakers, right? And Mike, you made a great point about the Lakers defense and offense being tied together. One of the reasons why the Lakers were such a great offensive team was because their defense pushed them into the style of offense and gave them more opportunities at the things they were good at offensively to score well, right? And so what what I mean by that is the Lakers were aggressive in passing lanes. They were a great block shots team, and they did a lot of stuff to generate misses and then run off of defensive rebounds, run off of turnovers, and create transition baskets. The Bucks play a much more, I don't want to say well, I will say it, just a more passive style of defense at the point point of attack in order to allow certain types of shots that teams are going to miss more often, but doesn't put them in a position to utilize their best talent in the open court as much. Put me down a slight, slightly worse. I don't think they're going to have the, like the regular season is not going to be particularly meaningful to that team, right? Because all of their questions wait for them yeah. in the playoffs. And, and just you know, fifty-two and twelve—that's a—that's a tough pace to keep up. Oh man! So you know, as as I'm thinking here, I like I like what we're doing and going a little bigger and longer on these on these better teams. I don't think we need to even do the better, worse, same thing. Like that can come up in the context of conversation, but we don't. We're not going to do that for Washington, Charlotte, Chicago, the Knicks, the Hawks. You know, all, all that anyway. The the whole point of this Eastern discussion is figuring out who has a chance to win the East uh, because the Lakers have a chance, a good chance to win the West, uh, and that's the context I think we can set. So, but I, I I will still note your points there. Let me move to Toronto, and the first thing that has to be considered for what what happens next year is does Fred Van Vliet um, come back? You know, do they do anything that they can to match? Like, like you know, a lot of teams are going to want Fred Van Vliet. I think he's great. Um, he's only twenty five years old, but I I really enjoy the way that Toronto has built its roster uh, with young two-way talent. Siakam, who took a big step back in the playoffs, but still two-way talent. OG Ananobi, Norman Powell. Um, Abaka's another big question mark. Does he come back? He's somebody that could help a lot of teams. Marcus All, does he go to Spain? And then Kyle Lowry, who you don't always think of as a two-way player, uh, but he is. So he, he gives you a lot on both ends. And then like Chris Boucher. So I, I really like what they're building. I don't, I don't have them as a true contender I have them kind of on that outside looking in um I'll tell you who the other three teams that I have uh, with the with the Bucks are I should say the other two with the Bucks and the Nets but really love what they're building there as a sustainable model moving forward I just think you know next year it's going to be tough for them to get that ultimate prize yeah they've got a lot of the foundation for a high level team they're the champions the year before right but they need more high-end talent. They just don't have the weapons to compete for a conference title. They're one of the great cultures in the NBA. They're yeah. uh, Everybody who plays defends, and their attention to detail and Nurse and his staff is remarkable at this. Just They always close out with the correct hand, funneling the correct way. They make the correct basketball play more often than pretty much any team in the NBA. It's just they have a lot of guys that are not lottery picks in or second round picks or undrafted guys. Terrence Davis is a guy that I like off of their bench, right? And they've done a wonderful job. Yeah, they've done a wonderful job of building a culture and a style of play. And this is what we do. They're similar to Miami in this respect. 
they just don't have enough in the way of high-end talent, and they find themselves in a position where do they rebuild, right? They've got they extended Lowry for one year. Do they send him somewhere to try to uh, chase a title? The Van Vliet question lingers in the air, right? What direction does Masai Ujiri choose to go in over the course of this offseason will determine a lot of the better, same, worse, but as they currently are constituted, Darius, do you, like, do they have the horses to win a conference title? I don't think they have the horses to win a conference tie title. I think they can be an excellent regular season team. They're just so well coached. It's interesting to go from a conversation that involves Coach Bud to one that involves Nick Nurse, right? One of because the most valuable that, coaches in the game, yeah. Yeah, because I think that they're on opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of that flexibility and that willingness to um, make adjustments, not only in game adjustments or in series adjustments, but like in possession adjustments, right? And, and okay, like we're going to full court press in a 2-1-2 two, two zone or we're going to play a box in one, we're going to play a triangle in two, and that sort of thing will steal you wins, I feel like over the course of of the regular season, I don't see them taking the next step in terms of playoff success until either Siakam makes another leap, which he's capable of, or they get a player who is clearly better than Siakam, much like the player that they lost in Kawhi Leonard, right? And I think that that's really what the end game is for them. As far as like next season, I actually look at it more as like a two-season plan for what Toronto's doing. They clearly have eyes on a particular free agent in 2021, potentially, right? Um, and I think that they're trying to remain flexible. So they're almost certainly like um, a second round playoff team to me, just because based off of the talent that is in place there and their coaching. Uh, the free agent questions specifically about Gasol and Ibaka, though, are looming. That is their big man. That is their center rotation right there. And if one of those guys doesn't come back, that's a problem. If both of them don't come back, they could actually be considerably worse as a team if they don't find a viable replacement for those guys. So those guys, those two guys specifically, to me, even more than Van Vliet is, is what happens with their big man rotation there. I mean... I've got them as a clear playoff team, but I, I think that I would right now, pending the addition of something, go you know Heat, Celtics, Nets, Bucks as teams that are that all have a higher ceiling. The the one thing to keep in mind though, none of us we're talking about Kawhi Leonard going to the Raptors. Like Masai may have something up his sleeve, <laughs> sure. and you know so there you have to acknowledge that not only do they have the assets, but they have the executive who has shown that he can do this before. So I'm not counting out the Raptors completely. Uh, because of what they've proven, not just the coach, but Masai, like that, that is a major advantage that they might be able to employ. So I'm, I'm kind of keeping a keeping a wary eye on them. Uh, this next team, the Boston Celtics. Uh, Pete, how do you feel about the Boston Celtics? <laughs> just gonna, they're going to be worse. Hold that, hold that worse. <laughs> I don't even need to look at their. Uh, they're going to uh, be much worse. This is where it's so funny. Like Pete and, and I, I can just tell it's like real. Me, we've we've gone through this before, but lifelong Laker fans like Pete that grew up. Uh, in the Showtime era, with nothing but hate. Like, I was in Minnesota watching Michael Jordan, right, right at that time, so it's just not <laughs> in my bones the same way. The first time I, I realized it needed to be a little more was when I had a green polo shirt on uh, just after I got the job, oh, no. and Mitch Kupchak saw me in the hallway, and he was like, he was like, what is, what is that? And I was like, uh, what's that? <laughs> what's that, Mitch? He's like, we don't wear green around here. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, transition that out of the wardrobe. But I, <laughs> I still like, I won't, I don't say I, right? When I talk, it, it is so, it's so funny to, to poke Pete a little bit. Um, even though, of course, I root very much against the Celtics and all Boston teams now um, at this point. But all right. So I, I do think that Boston, though, is, is, a, is a top line contender. I, I do think they're one big away from really being scary. And this is based on a lot of things, but more, more than anything else, I just love having two big two-way wings that can both create their own shot, that can both defend. Um, they've got Jason Tatum was 21 last season, Jalen Brown 23. Uh, they have some other guys around them as a found- foundational pieces of uh, Marcus Smart, you know, Kemba Walker, some, some decent role players and some draft assets. So like, I, I think they're a team that's going to need to be um, attended to, and that Tatum and Brown tandem uh, is the main reason. Go ahead, Pete. Tatum was 22 come playoff time. We don't have to make him any younger. Lord knows we do enough of that. They don't have, like, all right, so this is, 
Look, I don't have to preface this. You know how biased I am on this. They don't have the high end guys enough. Maybe Tatum becomes that, right? Like Tatum and Brown have have become, uh, you know, reliable playoff performers. But I think that when you don't have a big, which they can. They can find that with an MLE signing this offseason, right? They need to address that. Bam killed them in that uh, Eastern Conference Finals series. Yeah. Tice, Tice is good, but he needs to come off the bench. They need to they need have a, right. a better front line big. That's right. Um, you know, the degree to which Kemba can be effective on both ends in those higher playoff series. Like the idea of a Lakers Celtics finals with Kemba Walker on the floor trying to switch on to or hedge and recover onto LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yes, please. Just from a size standpoint, right? They would um, smash Boston. Yeah. They would right. smash yeah, Boston. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so through that context, I can't wait to see what a Brooklyn and and Celtics series would look like. I actually think the Celtics match up with them fairly well. But I think a guy like Bam is going to be a continual problem for them. To me, it all depends on Jason Tatum's development. He's the guy that has the, he made a big leap this year. I I can begrudgingly acknowledge that, but can he be a, we give you the ball and you're going to get us buckets in the, the highest intensity situations. There were multiple fourth quarters where when the screws were really tightened on the defensive end that he couldn't quite do that. Now, as you said, he was 22 years old during that playoff run. So that could be something that he could become by 23, 24, 25. But as of now, I just don't think that they have the guy. Darius, am I wrong about that with Tatum? That that's something he can do in the very near future? Or does it matter? Can they go? Can they get to the finals by taking another route? I think they can get to the finals. I think both of you guys are right about Tatum. I think Tatum's ceiling in this league is as a top 10 two-way wing. Very similar to the ways that we've looked at a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler. Like a high-volume scorer, a guy who can defend and defend multiple positions. Are there things he can improve at? Sure. Pete, he's 22 years old. Um, Is it guaranteed that he improves at those things? Not necessarily. Um, I During the playoffs, I was impressed with his passing and his playmaking. Mm-hmm. He did more of that, and I think he's going to need to continue to do that so that he's not a one-note guy. So here's the thing with Tatum. At his peak, he can be, like I think, a Carmelo Anthony-level scorer. I just think he has that type of game in him. If he's going to be a Carmelo Anthony scorer, but have more playoff success than than Carmelo Anthony, then he also needs to be that passer and that playmaker. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as the Celtics as a team, yeah, big man depth, point guard stuff in terms of like, I love Kemba as just a leader and as um, the idea of like mental toughness and being like a quote unquote big game player. Um, how much of a big game player you can be when you're basically like 5'11 and you're not a great defensive player. Those are things that are going to impact Boston's ceiling until Tatum does take that next leap and does become like, oh yeah, you're giving him the ball on every possession, right? And everybody then, like, you have to reset the orbit. I think Boston is headed in that well in that direction for sure, but it is going to depend on what Tatum does. Also, too, does Boston have a trade up their sleeve? Like, can they get? I don't know. This is like a hypothetical, but can they get a guy like a Miles Turner type of player, right? Who is a better defensive anchor who can stretch the floor, right? Because they are missing some things right now. If we were doing the better, same, same, worse, though, I do have them probably better next season than than this season just based off of the age group of their talent and where of their young talent and some of their better players and the trajectory that you have to envision that they're on as young guys do I see them as currently constructed being like a championship team I do not so let me give you a calibrator for Jason Tatum real quick and so Tatum in his year 21-22 season, 23.4 points on 45% from the field, 7 boards, 3 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.9 blocks. So pretty good defensive numbers. Paul George, age 21-22 season, 12 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.5 steals, uh, let's see, 0.6 blocks. 
Jimmy Butler. Now, again, Butler is a little different. He, we know he was a late developer. Uh, we know that his insane work ethic eventually paid off. But his 22-age season was his rookie year. 2.6 points, 1.3 boards, barely played. Played eight minutes a game. His next year, eight points, four rebounds. So it wasn't really until Butler's age 27 season that he had numbers that Tatum had this year. Uh, now, the flip side of that is Kevin Durant, right? Kevin Durant and LeBron... They were already megastars by this age. So Tatum is not where KD and LeBron were. KD at age 22, 27 points, you know, seven boards, three assists on 46%. So like Tatum, I guess, is is closer to LeBron and KD, though, than he is even to Paul George and Jimmy Butler. So it's just it's one of those things where you I, I was doing this for years with Ingram, with D'Angelo, right? When everybody on the outside was saying, oh, these guys aren't good. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, look at their comps for anybody their age, and they are better than you think. And Tatum is better than you think based on what his age is. And that's that, Pete, I'll let you respond because we were going back and forth a little bit on it, but I think he's better than what you gave him credit for. No, Tatum's really good. And we haven't even talked much about the defensive end where he's an absolute stud. He's one of the 10 best defenders in the league, right? So he's that, he's a two way dude for sure. I, when talking about high-end playoff series, the piece that I think he's missing that is essential is I don't think he's the athlete that can overwhelm the front of the rim in a playoff series when everybody's rotating, everybody's locked in. I think he's going to have to do it more off of jump shots, and that's going to have a great degree of variance. He wasn't a particularly good finisher around the rim this season, and part of that is because he doesn't have... Uh, like if he's in the open court, right? He's he's able to get some elevation. He's strong, can push guys off, but he's not an explosive one foot leaper, especially. And that's something where I just don't think he does enough around the rim to compromise a playoff defense at that high level. But you're absolutely right, man. He's he is that tier below. Again, this is all very begrudging on my part, and he's a stud on the defensive end. I just in a in a playoff series is Tatum going in those high end ones. Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals, going to be able to be a, we give you the ball and you're able to get what you want. I think you need to be able to put more pressure on the front of the rim than he does with his talent. I think Stevens does some good things with the the screens where, you know, Tice will set them butt screens, right, and clear this path all the way to the rim for a layup. But in terms of his individual talent, Mike, do you think he has enough in terms of I, athleticism I to, do. to do that? Yeah, I, I I do, but let's but let's uh, let's move on to Miami because uh, we you know we can we can we can revisit the Tatum thing. But I think with his his size, his length, I think he's got plenty of pop. Even though Bam was able to reject that uh, that hammer that he went for, and so to transition to Bam, Miami forty one and twenty four. Now I'm cur- I don't know if we'll need to spend as much time on Miami just because Miami is so fresh in all of our minds. Like we know what they did last yeah. year. Uh, we know that they're in good cap situation uh, overall moving forward. We know that they have the majority of their picks. Uh, we know that Bam is emerging. We know that Jimmy Butler has found this great home there. I think we all respect what Duncan Robinson grew into. Tyler Harrow showed real flashes that I think surprised a lot of people. So Darius, let's start with you there. Um, I, I want to give Miami the respect of making them the favorite. For next year, based on how they played, I don't know if it'll end up that way once we get into regular season context. But like I, they they did show me enough where I'm not picking the Bucks over them right now as constituted. Um, I'm not picking the Celtics over them. I need to see it from the Nets. So yeah. right now, I do have them as the slight favorite in the East. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the favorite. I would say though that there's probably little to discern them from the other teams that where we envision upside. Right, this team was just in the finals. I think that you reward them for being just in the finals and you treat everything else around that accordingly, right? Which is the Nets still have something to prove. Boston still has something to prove and on and on and on, right? And so the, I don't think you're lowering Miami at, at all. I also don't think that we should be elevating them above. I think though that we can just say, these are all the teams. Let's play the regular season and let's see how, how it goes. As far as projecting them for next year, I'm very interested to see if Hero and Robinson specifically have like another leap in them in a potential short turn around time, right? Like those guys basically had a full off season before the restart, like in between when game stopped to when the bubble started. They had a full off season. And I think you saw that with Hero's play and to a certain extent with, with Robinson's play. Now, in a condensed off season, do they have another mini leap of sorts? Or was the bubble season two for them? 
and what's going mm-hmm. to now be their actual second season just going to be a progression of that. Now, if it is that, that's good. They were very good players, and they were high-level contributors for a team that made the NBA Finals. But what can separate, to me, the Heat into and make them, Mike, that clear favorite is, does Hero take on even a bigger role and 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 like perform on that trajectory that would push him into like not where Devin Booker is now but on that same path right Robinson the same way Pete I think that it's somebody else who already developed into an all-star that is going to determine that and it's Bam if Bam can extend his range out to the three-point line he's a nice little 15 16 foot shooter there's no reason he can't be a pick and pop 34% three-point shooter at some point in the next couple of years. When that he happens... Shoots, he shoots better than Giannis, right, Pete? Like, it, it looks a little bit like his, his, even his elbow jumper. There's yeah. no reason that that can't extend, man. And if He looks that like does, a guy who grew up playing guard. Mm-hmm. And they become nightmarish to defend if Bam can extend that range out to the three-point line. It, almost similar to Jokic, except more of that vertical threat. You, you, Bam would be able to pop out and roll and put vertical pressure over on the rim. So the combination of that and Spolster is a very difficult coach to beat in a playoff series. I thought he smoked Brad Stevens in the Eastern Conference Finals. And he's somebody that's going to like they're going to suffer the same thing that we deal with, Mike, with that quick turnaround. But I think in a playoff series, they're going to be right there. And I agree with you, Mike. They are the definitive favorite for me in the East right now. Yeah, and it's close. I just I just like the way that they flow. A little bit more than the like. I know what I'm going to get out of him. I know I'm going to get effort. I uh, Bam and Jimmy uh, fit just fine. I think Dragic most likely gets back there, and they can add something else to that whole culture. Like so, I it's it, Darius. Though you're right. Like I don't think they're the they're not like the Lakers to me. Where I'm like, yeah, that like they just showed us for sure they have an advantage in what yeah. their system is. Um, I just if I have if you're if you're if I have to pick one group, uh, out of this group as currently constituted, give me the Heat. Can I ask you both a BAM question and just a quick 30-second answer from both of you? How much do you think BAM has to, to, if at all, adjust his offensive mindset to become a more aggressive scorer? Because, Pete, you mentioned, hey, if he can add the range— on his jumper, that's great. Like It has this domino effect of this, this, that, and the other. But there's adding the range, and then there is, like, I'm actively looking— for that shot versus being a cog. And, and and so, because I think for the Heat too, if Bam is going to be the guy who propels them forward, it also has to be a little bit of a shift in his mindset hmm. as well, right? And not just, because what he, the way he attacks defensively, can he turn that on offensively too? So I think that that confidence and that mindset would be underscored by his skill set. I don't think he's a good enough triple threat scorer to do that. He's got the ball handling. He's got the passing. And uh, I really like how he, how he makes his passing reads. But can he catch the ball at the elbow and rip through hard dribble pull up and knock that down? That's not really his shot. He's an open three-point shooter. And so he would have to improve in that respect in order to for that mindset to follow behind. Where do you stand on that, Mike? So I just say I, I'm not worried at all about Bam's development. So rookie year, seven points. Second year, nine points. Third year, 16 points. He's, it, he's getting better. He's adding stuff every year. Their coaching staff there is going to know how to maximize that. He's got a killer attitude. So yeah. I, I do think that he'll continue to develop in that way. Yeah. Uh, and and that to me is another reason why I like them because he probably, he and Tatum are the two guys that have the most continued upside uh, for me. And I, I almost feel bad we didn't discuss Jalen Brown enough, not giving him credit, but you know, Pete can only give I don't. I don't feel credit. bad about yeah, that. There's only, there's only so yeah. much Celtics time. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, in, in part of the, part of what I, I do think it would be fun when the Lakers, I don't want to say when, if the Lakers beat the Celtics in the finals to get to their 18th and decisive advantage. But let's talk, let's touch on Philly. This to me is the last team that I give a shot um, at getting out of the East. And it's not going to be easy. Their issue remains do Simmons and Embiid fit at a high level? And is there a perimeter player that they can find? Uh, that they can add because I'll tell you what he's not on the roster right now, right? There's there's just not a guy 
Uh, it, you know, it's not Josh Richardson, who's a, a good two-way player, but Richardson's closer to KCP in some aspects, I think, than some people realize. He's not, you know, he's not a guy that's going to do that for you. Um, it's Tobias Harris. Is it, it's not him, especially with that money. It's not Shake Milton or Alec Burks or uh, you know Furkan Korkmaz. It's it's a this is a a little bit Pete like if they could flip some spots with the Nets. <laughs> almost like mm-hmm. they can use one of those guys one of those creators a Dinwiddie or a Levert type uh and it's it's just uh, like Doc is going in there and, and is gonna I think they're gonna help uh, get a lot of the fact that they brought Dave Yeager in I think helps a lot because he's a he's an excellent game coach who's gonna put you into some really good system like so they're I- intriguing to me but I'm, I have them lower than the Heat the Celtics the Nets and the Bucks but I'm I'm, I'm I have an eyebrow raised if they can make a move uh, to maximize that talent I really didn't like them going into last season, and I would tell whomever asked me about Philly, I'm like, they're not the team. They don't have that perimeter guy, Mike. They don't have the guy like Ben Simmons you can give the ball to and can create offense, but he can't create a shot, right? Like, we we were just talking about that with Tatum. Tatum's like really high level, and he's very close to that that peak type of guy that you need in that position, right? You know what's funny, Pete? Like, AD and LeBron are not perimeter guys but they both can do that perimeter thing they both shot like 40 percent from three right like you have to guard them out there yeah yeah and you can but you can give them the ball on the perimeter and they can get your team a good shot like that that's what i'm saying as perimeter guy right yeah And, and so jimmy butler was that for them two years ago and in his absence, none of, like you said, Mike, none of the guys can do that. I don't think Doc Rivers, from a coaching philosophy standpoint, is a particularly good fit. I, I don't think that he makes enough adjustments in the playoffs. And that's a team where they're going to have to make significant adjustments. I think they're going to have to entertain moving Simmons into a, a, a four type of role as a screen setter, like being able to account for that he's, he's not a shooter. I just... On a multitude of levels, I really don't like what Philly's doing and has done for the last couple of seasons. And I'm not even sure they belong in this potential making it to the finals conversation. And maybe I sound like an idiot that gets retweeted, right? Uh, you know, several months from now as Philly enters the finals. But Darius, do you see them in this league, in this class of Eastern Conference teams? Not as currently constructed, but. To speak to Mike's point, and one of the reasons why I think that they're probably in this this conversation is that they have two top 15 to 20-ish level players in Embiid and Simmons, and I think that they do need to adjust their roster. I think that they they went and got Al Horford, which was a mistake. I think Horford could still be a very good player in this league, but he is not the right fit. I think that they need to play um, Tobias Harris at power forward. I think they need to give the ball back to Ben Simmons a little bit more as like um, as like your main offensive initiator and receiver of of outlets. I think they need a high level shooter right next to that guy, and probably two of them. Right. And so if you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, right, two guys who we've talked about the Lakers strengths of threatening the front of the rim, those are two guys who will threaten the front front of the mm-hmm. rim, not in the same way that AD and LeBron do, but but that's their goal still, right? Is, well, it's more is that they can't score. threaten the perimeter too, right? Like that's the primary thing for LeBron and AD, but like Mike said, they can still do the thing on the on the perimeter. But I think if you reshape the roster around those guys to add three shooters all of the time around those guys like it's a lot of reshaping man hey man and that's why and that's why we have them on the outside looking in but still discussing because like even defensively Embiid Simmons can be devastating players on that end and mm-hmm. so like there's a lot but you're right there's a lot to figure out I just I didn't think that they in apologies to the rest of the East I think we really can ignore the rest of the East like Orlando Washington Charlotte Chicago Knicks Hawks Pistons Cavs like you know some of those teams are going to be better Next year, but you know they're not even on Philly's class to me as a team with a with a shot. No, yeah. this is this is where the drop off is in this conference, and Philly is the pivot point. And would it surprise? Oh, I forgot me? Indiana. I forgot Indiana. Oh they're, yeah, they're Indiana too. They've in got the mix, a lot but of like, questions. Yeah, no. but no high no. upside. But but they're I would say they're at least like in between. Right? They're like maybe seven. Right? They're in between the rest of those teams. So you know, shout out to the Pacers. Yeah, I think this wraps up the teams that we could be potentially facing in a 2021 NBA Finals that it will be a challenging road for for everyone, but especially the Lakers to get there. And so in the next episode, we're going to discuss in context of this quick turnaround, whether the Lakers should run it back and to what degree with the same guys. But until then, 
You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.